That's a good word for all of us, to not let any kind of shame hold us back from seeking help. Sometimes we need help. What you just heard were testimonies from our church members, not somebody from somewhere else. Our church members who've gone through some difficult times, and yet God has seen them through. And some of you might be going through difficult times, or you have family or friends who are. That's what Care Day, which is next Sunday, is all about. I've been looking forward to this all year. We missed last year because of the pandemic, but not this year. And you see on the chairs, we have this handout for you that lays out the different topics that are going to be discussed in the afternoon. We have a session at three o'clock that every parent of a teen ought to try to be there. It is extraordinary and vitally important. I can't emphasize that enough. It would be worth your time to be here at the church at three o'clock if you have a teenager. But then you see we have sessions in the evening covering these topics, ADHD, anxiety, caregiving for special needs, dementia, depression, it goes on. Each one of these sessions will be led by a committed Christian and an expert in the field. People who really know what they're talking about. It's invaluable information and frankly, real encouragement when sometimes we need to know that, that there is a way forward. So I want to ask you to, to come as, as you have need to come, but I want to ask you this. You know someone who's dealing with anxiety or depression or who's going through some, some difficult time. Maybe it's a, a friend whose spouse has dementia they're going through difficult times. I want you to invite them to come. Would you do that? This is an opportunity to be helpful to them. Invite them to come and pray for them. And let's see this care day this year touch more people than it's ever touched before. All right? So that's this Sunday. You don't want to miss it. Jonathan McKee is going to be speaking in the services as well. He has a message not just for the teens. He'll be speaking at three o'clock to the teens, but he has a message for every generation, a timely message that directly impinges on our spiritual health. And so I hope you'll be here for that as well. And let me mention, some of you know this, many of you perhaps do, but I'm certain that some of you do not. Dr. Paul Strickling, uh, Stripling passed away and he, of course, was the director of missions in, for the Baptist churches in the Waco area for many, many years. There's a marvelous tribute written by uh, Dr. Charles Dixon on Facebook say, telling you something about uh, Dr. Paul's uh, ministry and his life. You know, there are many people who have met Paul Stripling and said, you know, he can't be that nice. This has, to be, this has to be a front. And everyone who knows him will say, that's not the case. He really is that nice. Well, if you want to write a note to Roberta, his wife, um, you can send that to, or bring it by the church office and we will forward that on to her. But if you would pray for her and pray for their family during this time, of course, uh, Paul and Roberta were members of First Woodway uh, before they moved 
uh, up to the Arlington because of health concerns. So uh, be praying for them if you would. All right. Now, this morning, I want to return to the subject of faith. We've been talking about faith matters, faith and salvation, faith and works. Last week, we began talking about faith and guidance, and I told you then it was going to take two weeks. Honestly, I could take a lot of weeks on this subject, but this week, we're going to finish the series on faith and guidance. What I tried to emphasize last week, and this is the first thing that has to be said whenever you talk about the Lord leading us, I tried to emphasize that God doesn't lead us the way non-Christians think a God ought to lead. I mean, if you look through the history of religion, you'll see people practicing divination. They're looking for signs. They're, they're listening for voices. There's all this effort to discern the mind of God or the gods. And that kind of divination sometimes seeps its way into the way Christians work. And so people are always looking for some kind of sign, open doors, closed doors, impressions, voices, dreams, visions, all sorts of things, because they think they have to attend to all that to know God's will. And yet when you get in the New Testament, you don't see all of that recommended or commanded, certainly. And there's no promise that God is going to grant any of that. And there's no promise attached to us seeking it. And so there's a different way, a better way. The basic way that God leads us is through wisdom. And a key verse that I read last week was this from Colossians chapter 1. Paul prays, or he says that he prays, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So the Spirit leads us primarily through wisdom and understanding. The mature Christian coming to understand the way of God. How? By studying Scripture, by walking with God for years. That mature Christian has a sense of what is wise and best in particular situations, and they make decisions based on that. That's how the Spirit typically leads us. That's the first thing that needs to be said. That's the baseline right there. Accompanying that is another thought that God is God. He is sovereign. So God leads us even when we don't know we're being led. So we make the best decisions we can. We seek wisdom. We ask God for wisdom. Remember the passage I read from James chapter 1. We pray for wisdom and take God's promise that he will grant it to us. We make our best decisions. But at the same time, we know that God is at work in ways that we can't imagine. So in Proverbs, it says that God is the one who really guides our steps. If you'd put up that verse, please. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. No better example of this than Joseph. Because Joseph's a young man living in Canaan. And he thinks that, that, you know, God is with him, but then it seems as if God has completely abandoned him because he's betrayed by his brothers, he's sold as a slave to some 
a wandering caravan. He's taken down into Egypt, and you know the story. He has his ups and his downs, but a whole lot of downs. There he is in prison. But eventually, God raises him up again, and he becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. It's an incredible story as he perseveres over years. And for much of that time, for much of that time, it looked as if God had completely brushed him off. But looking back over his life, all the ups and downs, all the twists and turns, he's able to recognize the hand of God. If you put that verse up, he says to his brothers when they meet up after many years, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So think about that. God sent Joseph to Egypt. But it's not like Joseph thought he was sent. It's not like he felt sent. It's not like he saw a sign and said, well, it looks like I better go down to Egypt. That's not what happened at all. What happened was he got sold as a slave. But God was working through it all. And so our God who rules over all things is guiding you whether you can tell that or not. Whether you can see God or not, God can see you. There's nowhere you can go where his spirit is not surrounding you and leading you. That's a comfort. So we pray for wisdom and we seek wisdom from God and trust that God will lead us. We make our best decisions and we know that God will providentially rule and overrule things to bring about his purpose. And a lot of times it's going to be unexpected. Maybe most of the time it'll be different than what we want. So to come back again, that's the first thing that needs to be said. We don't need to be looking for signs. We don't need to be looking for, for voices, for dreams, for visions, for inner impressions. We don't need to be seeking all of that. We need to seek wisdom from the Spirit, making our best decisions and trusting that God will guide us. So is that all there is to it? Well, not quite. That's what I tried to say last week. I don't know if I made it clear or not. I am not saying that the Spirit never speaks to us or never intervenes or directs us. Far from that. What I'm trying to say is that we don't, we don't try to hear God whenever we're making a decision we, we seek wisdom and we seek to make good decisions and we trust his providence. But I am not saying that God does not on occasion speak to us directly or intervene in unexpected ways. In fact, he may do so more frequently than we imagine because sometimes I suspect God is turning our heart one way or another and we're not even conscious of how the Spirit is at work in us. But the Spirit does work. Now, you might remember, I hope you'll remember. If you don't remember, please don't tell me you don't remember. But last summer, after our staff retreat, I shared with you two sermons talking about our strategy as a church. How do, we, how do we as a church fulfill what God wants us to do? If you'd go ahead and put up that slide. Remember our purpose, a Christian community serving a world in need. And then you have these six things. Soak everything in prayer. 
Notice number two, follow the prompting of the Spirit. Then preach the gospel in word and deed, promote community, build up families, meet needs and heal hurts. But notice, follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In all that I'm saying, I'm not saying that we should act as if God is far off and distant and uninvolved and we just make the best of it on our own. I'm not saying that. The Holy Spirit does prompt us from time to time and we need to follow that prompting. Otherwise, otherwise we miss what God wants for us and we could miss that as a church. As has commonly been said, If the Holy Spirit were to leave the world, many churches would continue on exactly as they had been for years. They wouldn't notice. Well, we don't want to be that kind of church. I want you to look in John chapter 14. You can turn there, or I think there's a slide that will be put up. Jesus says some very important things about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. He says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, another advocate. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit as like himself, an advocate or a helper. The spirit is coming to take the place of Jesus who is here in the flesh. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, will be in you. Jesus is looking forward to the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will be poured out and the disciples will be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live on that day. You will realize, now get this, that I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. See that language speaking of a spiritual intimacy. There's this union the Father and the Son and all of us, a union established by the Holy Spirit who is within us. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now Jesus, without a doubt, showed himself to his disciples when he was resurrected from the dead. He revealed himself to them. But most scholars would suggest that though that is something of a fulfillment of this passage, something more is involved as well. Yes, Jesus came in, in, in the resurrected body to his disciples, but Jesus comes by his spirit. He comes and lives within us. There's an intimacy that's established in our connection with God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's an interpenetration. We are in God and in Christ and God is in us. And as we walk 
with Christ, obeying God's commands, Jesus says, I'll show myself. He'll show himself to us. He says earlier, I will come to you. How will he come? He will come in the person of the Spirit, the Helper, who is the Spirit of God, but also the Spirit of Christ, because the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. There are mysteries here. But what this all comes to is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, there is a spiritual intimacy established. And the Lord reveals himself. And the Lord, frankly, speaks to us and guides us. Now, generally, the Spirit will guide us by giving us the wisdom we need to make good decisions, to li- giving us the power to live righteous lives. The L- Spirit leads us in quiet ways, but there are also times where he might drop something in your heart. And it's not that you're seeking it. You're not practicing divination. You're not trying to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're seeking to draw near to God, to follow Christ, to to deepen your relationship with him. And in the process, when he wants to speak, he knows how to speak. And when he wants to speak to you, he knows how to speak in a way that you'll understand. You don't have to go through the Protestant equivalent of a seance to hear from God. What we need instead, Jesus talks about obeying the commands. What he's saying is we need to walk in his ways. Walk in his ways. Live out that intimacy that he has established in our salvation, where the Holy Spirit comes to live with us. We need to be people of the Spirit. Now, that isn't something you just, you just decide to be one day. That's something that you grow into as you, you read the inspired scriptures. Remember, Paul says the scriptures are inspired by God. Peter says that they are inspired by the Spirit. So we read the scriptures. We read them prayerfully. We let ourselves be taught and instructed. We begin to understand who God is. We begin to, to know the heart of God. And when the Spirit speaks, we recognize the voice of the Spirit because we know the heart of God. We know the mind of God. We have grown into an understanding through through intimacy with Him. It's not some technique. It's a relationship. And so many times, Linda and I, it's strange. And those of you who've been married a long time, I know you can say the same thing. You've been married long enough to where you can read each other's minds. And sometimes... It's like you say the same thing at the same time. We did it just, was it this morning or yesterday? We did it. And it is so strange. I mean, we'll be watching something on television. They'll say something that maybe we don't like, and I'll go, hmm. The exact same moment, Linda, at a slightly higher pitch, will go, hmm. I mean, the exact moment. It's like we're reading each other's minds. And we're able to understand there's so many things. You know this. If you've been married a long time, there's so many things. You know exactly how your spouse thinks about it or would think about it. 
because you've lived with them so long. And that's what we're talking about. The life in the Spirit means drawing near to God through Jesus Christ, growing in that relationship that's inseparable from the prayerful reading of Scripture and from prayer in general and following in the footsteps of Christ. As you do that, you come to know Christ and understand him, and then you feel impressed and you start gaining a sense. Is that the spirit or is that something else? Now you can see this in Paul's life. It's very interesting when you, when you look at Paul's life, how this works itself out. So uh, there are lots of different instances where I could point out, let me, let me just, let me just mention a couple of things that happened. Paul was traveling through the Mediterranean world to preach the gospel. That actually began when he was at the church in Antioch. He was one of the teachers there. And in Acts chapter 13, it says that the Holy Spirit said to set apart Paul, or Saul as he was called at that time, and Barnabas to the ministry to which I've called them. The Holy Spirit spoke. Now, we're not quite sure, but almost certainly that was a prophetic utterance. And it was prophetic utterance likely delivered by one of those teachers. And so you have this spiritually mature group of teachers within the church of Antioch, and there's this prophetic word. Now, what else was there? Was there already discussion going on about the need to preach the gospel far and wide? Were they praying about this? We don't know. We just know that the Spirit sent them out, and so Paul went out and he began to preach. Now, what's interesting, if you follow Paul's travels, you see that it's common sense that's guiding him. He wants to preach and reach as many people as he can, so he travels along these normal trade routes. He goes to cities where people will come together. He knows that if he can reach people there, they will spread out to other places and spread the gospel. So he's going from city to city to city. It makes absolute sense. He's just following good strategy. Put it this way, he's using wisdom. The Spirit sends him out, and Spirit-given wisdom and understanding helps him create a strategy to reach people with the gospel. So he's going about that. And then something interesting happens. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. He's, he's traveling, and, and he has been in the region of Galatia, and he wants to preach in the province of Asia. Now, that's not Asia as we know it. That's Asia as in the western side of what we today call Turkey. But it was a province called Asia, and that was the next place for him to go as he follows this strategy that he has to preach the gospel. And the Bible says the Spirit wouldn't let them go into Asia. It doesn't tell us what the Spirit did. I mean, what was it? Was it a prophecy? Was it some circumstance that they attributed to the Spirit? Was it some inner sense that no, some check in their spirit that said, no, this is not the place for us to go? Well, whatever it was, they knew it was the Holy Spirit. Of course, they'd been living with the Spirit, living with Christ for years, following in the footsteps of Christ for years. They recognized the Spirit was stopping them, so they didn't go into Asia. They decided they would go northeast into an area known as Bithynia. But before they got there, the Spirit said, no, 
don't go into Bithynia either. Well, that's interesting. So they didn't go. So they turned west and they end up in a little port city called Troas. And that night, Paul has a vision. And there's a man from Macedonia who is standing before him, begging him to come and preach the gospel. He begs him to come and help us, okay? Well, Paul and the others naturally concluded that God had called them to go preach the gospel in Macedonia. And so they got in a ship, they crossed the Aegean and landed in the territory that we now know of as Greece. And they preached the gospel in Philippi. And there you've got Lydia who's converted, the first conversion in Europe. God had plans for how the gospel was to spread. So Paul's going about his business. He's been sent by the Spirit on the mission. He's, he's pursuing it as it seems best and wise. And then unexpectedly, the Spirit speaks and he responds. They don't go into the province of Asia. They don't go to Bithynia. They go into Macedonia, into Europe and preach the gospel there. That's what I'm trying to say, that, that we don't practice divination, but we do remain open to the Spirit who lives in us. We're walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ by His Spirit, and so we, we remain open to how the Spirit might stop us from going one direction, lead us to go another direction. How He's going to guide any particular person, who knows? Who knows? But you know what? He knows how to communicate. The Lord knows how to get his message across. Now, sometime later, Paul decides he's going to Jerusalem. There's a lot to that, but I won't get into it now. So he's going to Jerusalem, and he decides that because he wants to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost, he can't waste a lot of time. So he's not going to go into Asia and stop at Ephesus. Ephesus was there in Asia because there was a church at Ephesus and all the people would, would try to get him to stay and he'd end up staying too long and he wouldn't be able to get to Jerusalem in time. So he decides he's just going to go past uh, Ephesus, which he does. But then at the port city, just south of there, he calls the elders of the church of Ephesus to come meet with him. He wants to pour out his heart to them. He wants to share some of his concerns with them. And here's what he tells him about his trip to Jerusalem. Verse 22, he says, now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So how does the Spirit show him that prison and hardships are facing him? Perhaps prophetic words. Perhaps there's information that comes his way and, and he's certain that it's the Spirit that has brought it to him so that he would know. But none of that matters because he says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. Literally in the Greek, I am bound by the Spirit. Paul has this sense in his soul that he must go to Jerusalem. And he's going to go to Jerusalem, whatever the price may be. Now, how do you, how do you reach that point? Well, there's no step-by-step there's no -step formula. There's no trick to it. 
Paul is walking with Christ day by day. He's in fellowship with Christ. And in a way that he could understand, the Spirit put it on his heart. He recognized it was the Spirit. There was this conviction. I must, I can't let this go. And he goes. Have you ever had that kind of conviction? Now, here's what's really interesting. If you go to the next chapter, now I don't have a slide for this. You might actually have to look at your own Bible. Or like art, look at your, look at your iPhone to read the scripture. In the very next chapter, he's in Tyre. So he's, he's taken his ship and he's, he's made it north of Jerusalem. He's in the city of Tyre. And it says in verse four, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. What? Paul is compelled by the spirit, but here it says, through the spirit, they tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. What is that about? Well, I don't know. I don't know. My suspicion is it's this that through the Spirit, they recognized, perhaps there was a prophetic word, that Paul was going to suffer. And they were so concerned about that that they said, please don't go, please don't go. But that's not how they see it. How they see it is they are seeking to convince him by a message from the Spirit that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But Paul knows he needs to go to Jerusalem, and so he's going. And then, this is even weirder. In verse 10, they make it to Caesarea. Listen to this. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the older of, owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, you know that Paul was arrested when he was in Jerusalem. But do you notice what's a little off about this prophecy? Do you notice? The Jews didn't arrest Paul and hand him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the Romans, arrested Paul to save him from the Jews. Read the story. You'll see it's not exactly as Agabus prophesied. But it says that he prophesied by the Spirit. Now that has caused Bible scholars to scratch their heads for centuries. What do you make of that? You know, I don't know, but what I make of it is that he was inspired by the Spirit. He perceived what was going to happen, but, but was he speaking loosely? Or is it possible, even when someone is moved by the Spirit, is it possible that what they deliver is not necessarily pure and only from the Spirit? Can the human get brought into it as well? I don't know. But here's what it calls for. It calls for discernment. Discernment. So does the Spirit speak, guide, lead? Yes. The Spirit is guiding and leading Paul. He feels compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. But then you have people along the way who are being in some way moved by the Spirit, trying to move him in a different direction. And he won't listen to them. He knows what God wants him to do. So who speaks for God? 
Discernment is needed. And folks, that's where we come back to wisdom. That's where we come back to wisdom. You know, the truth is, if you feel like the Spirit is leading you in some way and all the mature, wise Christians around you aren't so much in support of what you want to do, probably you're wrong. You may not be, but probably you are. And so we need to be doubly careful. We need to do discernment. I'm looking at the clock thinking, do I have just enough time to say this? Um, Linda and I were on a trip in California. It was our, what was it, Linda, 35th anniversary or something? 30th? 30th, maybe. I don't remember. But, you know, it was, it was enough that, that we rented a uh, convertible Mustang to drive up Highway 1 in California from Los Angeles to San Francisco. It was an awesome trip. I'll tell you about it sometime. So we're on this trip. And when we're in San Francisco, we're about to leave. I had a message on my phone from Kim Scott. I don't know if Kim, are you here in this service or not? There she is. Yeah, Kim Scott gives me a call. Now, I had met Kim years before, but it seemed like a call out of the blue. What is, what is this about? I actually thought, and now it's hard for me to understand why I would think this, but I thought maybe she was trying to network looking for a job or something. I don't know why I thought that, but that's what I thought. So... We get to the airport the next morning in San Francisco, and we fly to San Diego. And um, it was there in the airport that I called Kim back, and that's when I found out she was part of the search committee here at First Woodway. And we started talking about the church was searching for a pastor, and, and she was just inquiring if I might be interested in talking about that. Now, interestingly, just a week or two before, another church had called, and Linda and I talked very briefly about it, but I said, no, no, because I wasn't looking for anything, and I really didn't even need to pray about it. That may sound unspiritual to you, but I really didn't need to pray about it. So I'm talking to Kim, and there are some reasons why I'm thinking, I don't know about this. In fact, I mentioned one to her. I said, you've been without a pastor two and a half years. Why is that? I'm thinking there must be problems somewhere. <laughs> there is something dysfunctional going on. To make a long story short, and it is a long story, I hung up, and I went back, and I sat next to Linda. She's sitting there in one of the seats in the airport, and I told her what happened, and I paused, and I said, Linda, this one's gotten under my skin. Almost immediately, I had this sense, this sense, there's something going on here. And, and that wasn't the end of it. You know what? That doesn't settle it. That didn't settle it for the search committee, obviously. It certainly didn't settle it for me. There was a lot of investigation, a lot of conversation, a lot of things that pertain to wisdom that had to be taken into account. A lot of things like that. And so, so no, that didn't settle it. Subsequent to that, as I've told you before, I went through the moral equivalent of a strip search. I mean, the search committee, <laughs> they did their job. But through it all, I had this sense that the spirit was moving, but I wouldn't let myself just put much credence on that. It made me open to talking with the church when I wasn't open to talking with the other church. It made me open to talking with this one. But other things had to fall in line. So there needs to be discernment and humility because we can get it wrong. Gosh, there are other things I want to say, but we need to close. Let me, let me as I pray, let me just say to you that that the Lord may have been leading you to this place. You're not even a Christian. 
or you're a Christian and you have wandered far off this first time you've been in church in a long, long time, well, I want you to know that the Spirit does draw people still, and the Spirit may be drawing you. And if you sense that God is reaching out to you and you want to come back to him or meet him for the first time, when this service is over, I'm going to come to the front and I want to talk with you. I'd like to pray with you. God is here and God will touch you if you'll let him. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are in us by your spirit. Thank you that you guide us. Thank you that, Lord, you, you never turn us away or abandon us. We thank you, Lord, for your ever-present guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.